Okay, that sounds pretty easy, but you don't know my story. Believe it in yourself, trust in the process, and God, I've been stuck. I've been fearful. I'm going to give you some tools to help you move forward. I know we all have stars. We all have wounds. He's already made the provisions for it to be done. Keep it moving. Brace your feelings. It's okay, and acknowledge how far you've come. It is my pleasure to uh, discuss about how love freed my next guest, Janice Jackson. She is the author of Love Freed Me. And when I tell you her story is amazing. When I say there is pain in her story, when I say um, there is love in her story, when I say she pushed not only to write the story, but she pushed to get to her freedom. She did all of that. And so I want to introduce and bring in and bring back to you all, Miss Janice Jackson. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for hosting me on tonight and inviting me to be a part of such an amazing encounter. Um, I was so honored. Um, beyond belief like i just god is amazing so thank you so much um to you for hosting um this uh, this um gathering that i believe that the lord has really um sanctioned for such a time as this so i'm appreciative thank you so much you're welcome you're welcome you're welcome thank you for coming first question i have for you is you compared your story to that of moses and pharaoh's daughter Please elaborate and expound on why, why did you see the need to do that? Um, so uh, everyone knows the story of Moses. I believe everyone knows the story of, of Moses and also knows um, how Moses um, was hidden. He was hidden. He was um, put in the river. Um, and basically Pharaoh's daughter uh, was tending to her daily needs um, with business her her business as usual if you will and she hears a sound and when she looks out in the river she sees a basket um and i believe that um god strategically put moses in the river so that pharaoh's daughter could find him just to preserve his life so for me how i antiquated to my life is that um god had to pick me up because they, he knew, uh, we know the scripture in the Bible that says, in, before I knew thee in your mother's womb, I formed thee. You know, I, I thought of thee before your mother even conceived of you. But when I thought of you, I had you on my mind. I knew your beginning and your ending, and I knew everything else in between. And because I know everything else in between, I need to preserve your destiny. And the only way that I'm going to preserve your destiny is by putting you, um, by hiding you and covering you to the point that the enemy cannot attack you but what happens when the enemy does attack after he's hitting you what happens how do you handle that so i antiquated as god um strategically put someone in my life um strategically took because he knew our ending he knew i needed to release a book some God, many years later, um, he knew that in order for, for her life to be preserved and for her to release what um, I have birthed on the inside of her, I have to preserve her life. And the only way that I know how to preserve her life is putting her 
in the river, which is antiquated as my mother giving me up and then going through the process thereof. So I just feel as if that this they were they were my Pharaoh. They were Pharaoh's daughter. My parents were Pharaoh's daughter. And they, they had a specific assignment to bring me to a certain place in the Lord. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you open up your book where um, you're talking about the comparison of being hidden and, and being like Moses. Mm -hmm. And then you also open it up with your first chapter of being in the hospital with your adopted father on his deathbed. Yeah. And you're sitting there like, do I forgive him? Do I hurt him? <laughs> do I let, let me let me pause for a second. Let me pause because right. when I mentioned that she was adopted or that her and her twin sister were adopted, I forgot to mention, I didn't forget to mention, I mm -hmm. did not mention that they were adopted and then the adopted father began to abuse them. Absolutely. So began to abuse Denise sexually, psych mm -hmm. uh, uh, psychologically, psychologically. Mm -hmm. emotionally. Uh, mentally and emotionally. Mm -hmm. Yep. So at the beginning of the book, you are standing there at this man's <laughs> bedside trying to figure mm -hmm. out, do I forgive you? Do I cut you? <laughs> Let's just keep it real. Do, do I cut you? <laughs> you know, yeah. do I torment you for all that you've done for me since the age of eight? Mm -hmm. You know, or what do I do? Right. So, so if you let's go back, because I told you all in my segment that forgiveness ain't easy and for it's some not. it's a battle so yeah. this is a, a real story about literally she she talks about the battle within the book that she mm -hmm. had standing at the foot of this this that this man's deathbed and yeah. so um I, I'm, I'm gonna get to that in a moment but no we're gonna talk about it. how'd you really feel how'd you really feel um I, my honest feeling Honestly, my honest feeling was the response that I put in the book. I couldn't give anything beyond that. Um, and um, my honest feeling was, I am not God. I don't have the opportunity to take your life. I don't have the opportunity to preserve your life. What I do have the opportunity to do is to pray for you and believe that whatever the will of the Lord is for your life, shall be done and that only came though that response only came after i did the work to get to the place of healing to get to the place of forgiveness um by this time and a lot of people don't know so i, I kind of did the book backwards most people would say um take us on your journey from alpha to omega or you know from the beginning to the end but i felt the need to start at the end because where the end, the end process had to take me back to my beginning. Um, the end of this one chapter or one phase of my life ultimately brought me back to my beginning um, of something that I had so desired all my life. And that was to know who and where I came from. So oftentimes I had to start there. Um, I had to start there in the essence of did God really do the, did he do what he said he was going to do? Did I surrender enough of me to God that he was going to yet internally take every fragmented piece of my heart 
and put it back together again. If you are God, you know, and that was my thing. If you're God and if you, if you designed me and if you created me, ultimately go gather me from the scattered pieces of the earth, go bring me back to me. So then I can carry out your purpose and your plan. So what I want everyone to know is that you can't do anything in life when you're scattered and when you're broken and when you're not willing to do the process, when you're not willing to trust the process, if you will, as Kamika said earlier, you have to do it. And whatever it looks like, it ain't going to be pretty because it wasn't pretty for me. It's not going to feel comfortable um, it's not going to feel easy. It's going to be the most excruciating pain that you'll ever feel. But when you get to the promise, listen, it'll be worth it. You gotta it'll push. be worth it. You, you got to push. push. Like, you got to. You got to push. So, um, <laughs> trying to make sure I don't go ahead of myself in the way you're I, I know. Telling it, it's, it's easy <laughs> to do that. <laughs> because you are a twin, um, only Absolutely. about a couple of minutes. You know, did you share your story with your twin before the book? Um, no. Um, she knew bits and pieces. Um, if, if go get the book, of course. Um, <laughs> but um, I tell this, I tell this in the book that um, a lot of people don't know that Janelle and I grew up divided, um, and we are yet working through this division of, of, of um, the seed of division that was planted. I'm not going to say that we have it together because whew, it's a process, but um, we grew up divided and we were our worst enemies. She couldn't stand me. I couldn't stand her, but we were going through the exact same thing at various times but it was both of us. So ultimately, my story is my sister's story, but I can't tell it from her point of view. I had to tell it from my point of view. Um, were there moments where I had to, you know, share with her prior to, you know, before really being public to the world? Absolutely. Um, we did sit down and, you know, go through some things. But ultimately, a lot of things she read for the first time when I released it, um, as is with my mother. Um, she read it for the first time. Um, so some of these things, I, it was my intent. I was like, you, you know, I'm going to write a little, this, this book became, this book um, started out as a journal entry. Um, I needed to release the weight that I was carrying the, the night that we buried um, my, my father, my abuser. Um, I needed to release the weight that I was feeling. And the only way I could do that was writing. Um, so I started writing the night that he passed. Well, not the night that he passed, but the night that we buried him. Um, that was my outlet. And um, it just became page after page after page until someone else um, said to me prophetically, I see you writing this book. And I was like, there's no book you're not hearing God. <laughs> that ain't him. <laughs> I don't believe nothing you're saying. Um, and then as the Lord um, really, really, you know, transitioned me from one phase of life to the next, and he started to deal with me, I said, oh, okay, God, it is a book. <laughs> so be it. Um, but yeah, a lot of things they found out, family found out for the first time um, while reading it and I'm sure there are questions that nobody's asking me. So it's like <laughs> the point of the fact that you and your sister, twin sisters at that, mm -hmm. hated 
each other and yeah. our, our dis- we're, we're disconnected and working through the disconnection when Absolutely. that's odd for twins. Very much so. It's odd Very much so. for twins. You know, yeah. twins you would the, think the, that, the yeah. right, you know? So that's odd to be um, together in the womb for so long mm-hmm. And you don't yeah. know anybody else. You didn't come in here alone. You came with right. somebody. And then to mm-hmm. be disjointed mm-hmm. from all that togetherness is, yeah. wow. And so yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you guys are working through it. And I know that journey, like Absolutely. you said, I know it's not easy, but it's it's to get you guys back to be better Absolutely. than where you were. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. Now, if that what what we did know all of our lives was that we were the only blood that we had. So was there a was there a bond that nobody could come through? You know, was there an understanding that, you know, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have her back at the end of the day. Of you know, absolutely that was there. But um the seeds that were planted um in our mind, in our in our psyche, those seeds that were planted really were watered and matured um, to the point that we 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 are now at the age that we are really doing the work to dismantle um, every tactic that the enemy thought that he was going to do. Ultimately, um, God is good. He's 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 walking this thing out with us. That's what I can say for sure. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, he is all of that. Um, so in your book, you talk about love. You have a, a specific, you have one chapter that is like all about love. Um, you mentioned, um, or why was it important for you to talk about the various types of love and in particularly God's love? Um, so for me, um, growing up in the household that I did, there was a form of love mm-hmm. that I had to that I had to conform to, but it wasn't the love of God. It was it was conditional. It was not unconditional love um, growing up. So um, the reason I talk about the agape love of God is because what I came to know is that the love of God supersedes anything that I could be going through. Um, The love of God supersedes my own emotions. It supersedes my will. It supersedes who I am at the core. The love of God supersedes whatever pain that I may be carrying. It is the love of God that ultimately went to the cross to die for me. So if God could wrap himself in humanity and then die so that I can be free, what kind of love is that? agape love. So I really, really um, came to understand what the love of God looked like in my life, how it, it, it manifested itself in my life. It started with the preserving of my mother, my biological mother. It started there to that she didn't lose her mind at the age of getting pregnant, then giving birth to twins, and then having to give up her twins to the point where I don't know where my kids are. And then, I mean, there's still so much more with that. I mean, we'll get there. But (laughs) um, to the point that um, this is, and this is what the love of God looks like. This is how it manifested in my life from going from not knowing this to then being, going into an adopted family who you think who you who you would want you know you adopted me i didn't ask to be here so you know 
I would think you would show me the love that, that I'm supposed to give, but their form of love, they could only give what they were given. Um, and that's what I know. So God had to teach me love in all stages, all areas of my life. And because he taught me love from his point of view, I now, it is my mandate now to carry out the agape love of God. Um, and just show it no matter what. So love freed me means that God, not only the love of God freed me, but God himself freed me from the, ch the shackles and the chains and the you know, the brokenness. He freed me from everything so that I can carry out my mission and mandate in the earth. Wow. So in saying all of that, you then mentioned you had to make a destiny decision. What is it? And why was it important for you to mention the fact that you had to make a destiny decision? Because that's, that's specific. You didn't just make a decision. You didn't just make a conscious decision. You made a destiny decision. So what is it and uh, why was it important? So a destiny decision is um, what, what I know in life is that a lot of people confuse destiny and purpose. Mm -hmm. um, we are purposed in the earth for one thing, but destiny leads us to a whole nother. We are led to destiny. Destiny is something that you have to strive to accomplish. Um, and once you know, <clears throat> excuse me, once you know what your destiny is in, in the earth, once you know what it is, there is nothing that no one can stop you from accomplishing. Destiny is something, destiny is that thing that you wake up every morning with. Like, I can't shake this feeling, but I know the Lord is telling me to do this. That's a destiny decision. That's a destiny, that's a destiny moment. That's a destiny gift, if you will. So, or, or even if you wake up and say, um, I know I work in this career, but I know that I can um, transcend to a whole different, I can touch the lives of many if I just get over into this place. If I can walk in, in my passion, then my passion then leads me to destiny. So destiny decision for me, destiny decision was I knew what my destiny was. I knew what God had called me to, but I also knew that I had to leave everything around me in order to accomplish what I needed what I needed, how I needed to thrive in life, um, how I needed to connect with the lifelines that the Lord, like the Lord literally gave me life. Like I was sinking, right. You know, we don't, I, what I realized is that, you know, growing up in church, we used to sing these songs. I was thinking deep and sin, like, you know, um, far from the peaceful shore, but we don't really uh, equate those songs to sinking in real life. You know what I mean? And so when you start thinking about the lyrics, the songs like that, and you'd be like, Hey, I was really, I was almost down to the bottom. <laughs> and then he just, listen, he threw me a lifeline and that lifeline could be anybody, mm -hmm. right? He could throw you a lifeline, which is leading you to destiny. He could throw you a lifeline and they are the people who are meant to help you walk out your purpose, walk out your plan, um, things like that. So destiny decision for me was I had to literally leave everything around me and I had to make a conscious decision. I have, I cannot die here. If I don't change my atmosphere, I'm going to die here. And in order for me not to die here, my destiny says, move, go do something different. And when you go do something different, Hey, let's go. We got to figure it out. So that's the, that, that was my destiny decision. Like I had to make one and we all have to, we will all eventually have to make destiny decisions and carry them out. But destiny it's worth it. 
it's worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's worth it. You're pulling out good questions. I like it. <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, while you were talking, I was listening to you. It reminded me of two quotes that I heard from Steve Harvey earlier this week. One of mm-hmm. them, as you talked about that, you know, your destiny is something that you have to work for, right? Mm-hmm. And one, the dream is free, but the hustle is sold separately. So a lot of people want the dream, but they don't yes. understand what it takes to get to the dream. LeBron mm-hmm. didn't just become LeBron overnight. overnight. It took a lot mm-hmm. of sacrificing and hustle that yep. that many people don't mention or, you know, that may, or make it look easy in yep. order to get to the LeBron that you see right now. You know, um, and so the dream is free, but the hustle is sold separately. And then he said this. Your career is what you paid for. Your calling is what you're made for. I said, that's good. (laughs) That's good. That's really good. Oh, my goodness. He said a mouthful right there. Your career is what you paid for, but your calling is what you're made for. And that's that's basically in the same sense of what you're talking about, about your destiny. You don't just stumble into your destiny. Not you at all. See, you see little pieces of it. I know for me, I saw yeah. little pieces of it even as a kid. I saw yeah. little pieces of it that I didn't understand. I rem- I'll never forget at our home church. <laughs> I never forget. I don't. I think. I think I just got finished emceeing uh, an event or something. I, I just got finished speaking or doing something, and this guy walked up to me. This man, older, because I was a kid, and he walks up to me and he says. Is something about your spirit and left it at that. I don't know who he was. I don't know what he <laughs> meant by it, but that to this day, that's all I remember. I don't, I don't remember yeah. a face. I don't know his name, but that's all I remember. And, you know, even my mother has said some things like, you know, with the choir, at, I think at the age of three or something like that, she was in choir rehearsal mm-hmm. and the, the musician kept trying to get the guy, I mean, get the choir to sing or the certain section to sing a certain note. And next thing you know, they weren't getting it. And next thing you know, I blurted the note out. You know, so we see little pieces of it as Mm -hmm. we go. But if we're not uh, very open to it or willing to look at it from different perspectives or willing to reflect, then we won't really understand or know that those were those destiny little inklings that were saying, hey, absolutely, you, this is you. Absolutely. Then you say in your book that um, because of all that you went through, you had made the decision to never go back home. Your sister was brave enough to make the decision and run away. She ran away mm-hmm. to the police station and filed a complaint against you all's abuser. Yeah. Um, she did that at the age of 15, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And your grandfather, your, the adopted grandfather, yeah. My yeah. former pastor, rest his soul. <laughs> you know, he stepped in and said he stepped in, fought for you all because basically your abuser was saying, "Oh, they're just ch- children." You know, she's yeah. just a child. She's a foster. You know, we adopted her. She's just acting out. She's not telling the truth. All this other stuff, things that manipulators and and some abusers say. Cool, right? Absolutely. And basically, he steps in. Grandfather steps in and says, "No, mm-hmm. they can come live with me." And forbid the abuser to be anywhere around you guys. You guys lived out your the rest of your high school years 
at your grandparents' house. Yeah. And then it was time for you to move. Well, you graduated and you said, I'm getting the heck up out of here. Deuces. He's out. Hey, <laughs> town. I'm out. So you're, you, so you're like, I'm out. And you decide to move and you move. And um, it's not necessarily best for your twin. Let me, before I get back to my question, your twin comes down because you're not having a great time. So she decides to come down and kind of stay with you to kind of try to help you ease your, your, your pain. There's, there comes a time where you're like, I'm never moving back home. So when I'm out, I'm out. So you made that decision. How did that work for you? When I got to North Carolina, I started, um, I remember like maybe for, you know, when you first go to college, you'd be like, I am free. I ain't got an answer to nobody. I could come and go when I want to. So I'm going to go to the club. You know, you think you've grown. Like you really think you've grown your freshman year and then you get brought right back down. Um, but I remember going to the club and I wasn't a clever y'all. Like if you know me, if you know me, know me. Like, I grew up at Green Gladys. Um, it just, just <laughs> it wasn't it. So um, I remember going to the club, and I was standing in the club. Mind you, I hadn't been to church since I left because, you know, I'm grown. So I remember going to the club and standing in the middle of the club with this little tap on my shoulder, turn around, and ain't nobody there. And I'm like, oh, that got to be What's going on? And I heard the Lord say, go back to your dorm. I said, okay, I'm out. Y'all, I'm going back to the dorm. By the time I made it from where I went to school at and where the club was, was probably eight blocks, if you will. Um, by the time I get back to the dorm, my RA is like, where are you coming from? I was like, the club, don't look cute. She was like, what club are you coming from? And I told her, she was like, you sure? And I was like, yeah. She was like, you know, it was a shootout. I said, where? She was like, at the club you just left from. Listen, that's how I knew the God, the hand of God, the hand of God was on my life. Because I, no one made it out. No one made it out for me, right? So I was like, Lord, Appreciate you. I hear you. I'm going to church tomorrow. Okay. So <laughs> I literally didn't know. I didn't, I didn't have a car. None of that. I didn't have nothing. I remember saying, I'm going to the church. Now, Lord, I don't know what church I'm going to, but I'm just going to stand out here and you're going to send somebody my way. Standing out there, see a group of girls. They look like they dress for church. You know, some look like they was dressed for the club. I didn't, couldn't tell if they was coming or going. Neither, nevertheless, um, I said to a girl, I was like, are you going to church? She was like, yeah, around the corner. I said, okay, come on, let's go. Walk within the church. We get to church, the lady's preaching, and I'm saying, she preaching my whole life story. Like, literally just started preaching it. I mean, you would have thought she lived in my household. Mm -hmm. And that was the, the hand of God, like, just pushing me there. And then my sister came to visit. She came to visit and was like, um, cause you know, I was telling my family, yep, I go to this particular person's church and da 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 and we doing like, we got some cool stuff going on. My family was like, okay. So my sister came <laughs> to see, like, she was like, I just want to see what you got going on down here. So she comes, shows up and was like, oh, if you're, you're surviving down here, like you're really thriving down here, let me come on and go. And literally my sister ended up coming and was like, 
I'm gonna come on and move to North Carolina. But for me being there, I ended up being there, and I was like, well, I ain't never got to go back to Maryland because <laughs> life is grand over here. I ain't got to deal with the hurt and the pain there. Little did I know. But um, I was like, life is grand. I ain't got to go home. If I go anywhere, I'm moving further down south because you know I heard the food is better down there. <laughs> and the, but the Lord ultimately, literally placed me. I believe now that you know two years later, I know that the hand of God placed me in in North Carolina to do surgery on me, not to do surgery on anyone else, but to do heart surgery on me and scatter the broken pieces of me that were scattered pick up the broken pieces of me that were scattered and mend my heart. And I remember, you know, as I started attending this church, how the Lord, um, as I submitted to his will and to his way, um, I started praying more, you know, things of that nature. That's when the Lord really started showing me, hey, it ain't as bad as you thought it was. It's just your process. It is your process for your life. You are Moses. This is why. So. Wow. And so then you, you, I want you to speak specifically about um, the power of being led to make the decision to move back home after you was like, yeah, no, nah, that's not my ministry. I, I'm never going back home. But then you, you specifically said the power of being led to make the decision to move back home. Yeah. Um, so as I stated, you know, God put me there in North Carolina to do surgery on me and y'all, it wasn't, I'm thankful um, now, um, because that was at the point where he threw me my lifelines. He strategically placed women in ministry. And if I be honest, it was probably, um, I remember prior to me even going to, to college, how um, growing up in, in our family church um, that we grew up in, um, they, didn't, they didn't believe in women preachers. But we were not exposed to that type of um, atmosphere so frequently, if you will. No, they didn't believe in it. I'm, I was trying to make it sound right, but let's just tell you, shame the devil. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that, it was something that they were not privy to and mm -hmm. that they did not believe in. Um, but I remember your play, a woman's place in that particular church was, you know, go stand back there for a second and stay there. Mm -hmm. Don't come up here. Just stand right there. <laughs> um, that's me. That's the nice way they're putting it, right? So um, I remember saying to someone, I feel the tugging of the Lord. And I knew at the age of 16 or 17 that God had called me to something greater, but I did not know how to accomplish it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it looked like because I had not been introduced to what God had placed on the inside of me. I had not seen anyone who looked like me, number one, or who even carried the same mannerisms that I carry, if you guys know what I mean. So um, I remember saying the tugging of the Lord and the person responding was like, oh, you're young. You'll figure it out eventually. Um, but then as I transitioned into North Carolina, he put people who looked like me. He put people who were women in ministry. I mean, thriving women in ministry, thriving women who, um, who, who had prayer lives. Like, not, that I, not that the people that I grew up with did not have it. Um, it was that for where he, what he had fashioned for my life, mm -hmm. 
there was a specific group of people that just needed to, who could extract the giftings on the inside of me. Um, so when the Lord, who I, this is after the Lord had did heart surgery on me. I, I mean, I was kicking and screaming like, I'm never. And I, t- I, I told my mentor one day, I was like, you ain't never got to worry about me going back to Maryland. I might go to visit, but to live? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And the Lord was like, you, you won't? And I was like, hmm, okay, keep playing. And I remember being in prayer one day and the Lord said, I'm getting ready to change you. I'm getting ready to change your location. And I was like, here we go. Take me down south like I asked you to. <laughs> and I came home. Um, unfortunately, I ended up having to come home um, to deal with um, family death. And when I came home to deal with the family death, I saw the state of my family literally spiritually dying. And I remember asking God, why are you showing me this? And the Lord responded with, I granted you life. Now I need you to speak life into those that hurt you the most. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's easy. You know, I'm going to pray for the people. <laughs> You know, I'm going to cover them in prayer. That's all you're going to get out of me. And God was like, no. And I remember I heard the Lord say, move back to Maryland. And I said, oh, I don't see no blue tutu. I don't see the face of Jesus. So it's not it. <laughs> literally, um, I called my mentor at the time, um, Apostle Doris Wellington, who is still in my life 20 years later. Um, I called her at the time and I said, the Lord is saying to me to go back home. And she, her response to me was, isn't that like the Lord to put you back in the very place that you were hurt? Say that again. Say that (laughs) again. Isn't it like the Lord to put you back in the very place that you were hurt? My God. And oftentimes we, we don't understand that God, um, the, the scripture is true. When um, you hear preachers talk about um, the people being delivered of legions of demons and how, you know, the, you know, they come back to see if the house is swept clean or if they can find a little inkling of residue or something like, right? The scriptures are true. Um, so sometimes God will put us back in the very place that hurt us the most to see if we really are healed, if we really have forgiven, if we are really set free. And so that's what God did. God said, move back to Maryland. And I I was kicking and screaming for a minute. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not doing this. And I didn't understand it. And the crazy part was, is that I didn't tell anyone but my mentor. I didn't tell anybody in my family, but the Lord said this to me. No. I said, God, if this be your will, you're going to have to put everything into place. I have, I'm used to living on my own. I quietly appreciate it, Lord. So I'm not coming back to live in my grandma's house and I'm surely not going back to my mama's house. So (laughs) what are we doing? And I remember the Lord, I put it in the Lord's hand. I said, if this is your will, line up a job, line up a house, line up everything that I need to be able to be the same efficient person that I am. But if this is your will, ultimately my will is your will. So I'll accept it. And literally no sooner than I release that out of my mouth. I walked to the store to go get me some chicken. If you know where our home church is, you know what it is. Uh-huh. I walked to the store to go get me some chicken 
and I ha so happened to run across somebody from the church. Was like, oh my gosh, thank you. Great. Hey, how you doing? I'm going to get some chicken. Let me go. Person says, when are you moving back here? I said, God, you got jokes. You got jokes. And I was like, what do you mean? And it's like, I just feel like you're about to move back here. And I said, he ain't told, well, I can't lie and say he ain't told me nothing, but we'll see what the Lord says. <laughs> and literally, um, the person then said to me, when you're ready to move, um, I can get you a job here. And I was like, what you talk about, brothers? And literally, I mean, that was the beginning of God <laughs> setting it up and orchestrating it. So ultimately, the Lord put me back in the place of where I was hurt in order to make sure that my heart, that the surgery that he did in my heart at the time, it took him seven years to do the surgery on my heart. Y'all, it went overnight. It took me seven years to be able to, and my mother had wanted it for years. She would always say, well, are you going to come to our house for Thanksgiving? Absolutely not. Well, are you going to just at least call him on his birthday? Absolutely not. And so it took years, you know, it took years, seven to be exact, for God to do the surgery that he needed to do in order for me to even fathom the idea of putting my feet and getting comfortable back in the state that I was so hurt in the most. Um, so, yeah. Oof. Girl, you just said a mouthful there. <laughs> and, but I told you guys, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And if you Not go and picking and screaming, the process is going to be even longer. So you might yeah. as well be willing to open yeah. to getting your freedom and getting and you know, you know, getting your healing so that it doesn't take long. And, and I know I'm talking and you like, yeah. Coach, yeah, you, you that sound real nice, but you don't know my story, right? I don't know your story. You are absolutely right. I don't know the pain that you're going through. You're absolutely right. I'm looking at Janice, and I never knew that she went through that, just like she doesn't know my story. But we're both sitting here telling you it's worth it, and it is a process. And if you're willing, if, if put it like this, if your healing and your freedom is worth it to you, then you'll be willing to do the work. And go through the process, man. This is some good stuff. And guess what? It, and what you, what, what everyone really needs to understand that it's worth it to God. Mm -hmm. Your healing and your freedom is worth it to God. Absolutely. So if God in Himself, in His infinite wisdom, loves you enough, one that He went to the cross to die for you, surely He don't want you. He don't want you to live in a world being bound and being broken. Mm -hmm. That ain't His purpose. No, I come that you might have life. Have it abundantly. Abundant life, abundant living doesn't mean that we don't all have obstacles and situations, but it is worth it to God to make sure that you are set free, that you are made free. And really, it's a decision. It starts with a destiny decision. Am I going to stay here stuck in my mind, in my will, in my emotions, or, I, or am I going to not look at the person who did it, but look at the purpose that God is trying to extract from my life? Wow. Wow. So with that being said, you already said that you told your mama, I ain't never coming back, not for Thanksgiving, not for Christmas, not for nobody's birthday. I'm not calling. I'm not doing nada, nada. Right. You didn't already yeah. said that. But <laughs> one of the things is that it, you talk about the fact that you had to come back home because why? He was on his deathbed. So we get back to 
the beginning of the story later on. And so he, he's on his deathbed and he actually dies. Um, there were some decisions that had to be made. Um, but then you say at the funeral, you were able to breathe for the first time. For the first time. Why was that? 20 some years. Um, I no longer had to carry the weight of the silence of the, of the guilt and shame. Um, oftentimes, those of us that have been um, abused in any way, shape, or form, there is a silence. Um, there's a weight of silence that you carry. Mm -hmm. There is a weight of, um, what did I do to deserve it? Mm -hmm. And there, it's just a weight that won't go anywhere. Um, no matter what you do, in the back of your mind, the weight is still there. Um, and so for the first time in um, 26 years, 27 years, and I believe I was 27 when I had just turned 27 um, when he passed, um, for the first time I could breathe without the weight of the guilt and the shame. Knowing that I didn't do anything wrong, um, knowing that um, it was not my fault, um, and oftentimes we get, we, we carry that weight too. It's my fault. We carry the weight of it's my fault <laughs> and it's not. Um, and for the first time I could really let it go. When he died, it died. Um, when he took his last, when he took his last breath, it went with him. Mm -hmm. Um, and ultimately I didn't start living until he died. Wow. That is a huge statement. 20 some odd years later, you didn't start living until he died. Wow. So it's not one of my questions, but it, listening to you talk, I thought about this. For you, you had death that helped you bring some type of closure, that helped you to exhale, right? Yeah. For those who don't have something right. that huge action to take place how can they release how, how can they get that release if that person never dies or if they never even see the person ever again but they're carrying it and they're walking with it some of it because they don't know how to let it go some of it because they won't let it go you know or, or whatever the case may be but how can you let it go if you don't have those big actions of the person dying or things of that nature Excuse me. Um, ultimately, I would tell anybody to um, journal. Do whatever. You, you have to find a way to free yourself. Mm -hmm. um, journaling, um, prayer. Don't be afraid to sit on somebody's couch. <laughs> like, I mean, all of those, all of these mechanisms, all of these things that God has given people the wisdom and the know-how and the knowledge to be able to walk you through. Um, you have to find what process works for you, but, but be committed to the process. And for me, it started out as journaling. You know what I mean? Um, I, the only thing I could do, at, journaling and music were my outlets while the molestation was going on. Mm -hmm. I would cry myself to sleep listening to somebody on the radio singing. Um, I'm a lover of music, not only because I grew up in a musical household, but because that was my coping mechanism. Music now is my coping mechanism. I can be 
um, doing anything and I'll put on some music and just zone out and y'all be like, well, where is she? And nothing's wrong, but that's just the way I deal, you know? Um, so you have to find what, what it is that you can use to help you heal. Um, a lot of times you'll hear people say, write it down, burn it, um, write it down, put yeah, it, put it in a balloon, so whatever, you have to release, when I tell you, you cannot hold on to it, because if you hold on to it, it manifests itself in sickness and disease, it manifests itself in other ways, it manifests itself um, in self-sabotage, it manifests, it will come out, no matter what it is, as much as you try to keep it hidden, keep it covered, you know, I tried to protect my family for a long time. And although my family may not agree, they just, you know, it is what it is. Um, but for a lot of things, I could not, and I'll tell anybody, I could not have released the book prior to this time. Mm -hmm. I couldn't. Um, there was, it was too many things, too many people that I had to be concerned about. Too many, you know, too many... Um, I needed certain people to get to a certain level where their skin was tough enough to be able to, you know, and I even had to preface with some people in my mother. I mean, cause you know, I, my mother still goes to this church. Um, and so I had to even when the book, especially when I started noticing church people was, I was, I was like, um, and I made the right <laughs> do I need to rethink this? Um, but I even ultimately said to God, don't let my mother, I had to pray to God, don't let her receive backlash for, don't let people start thinking. And I, I even had to have a hard conversation with my mother. And, you know, it was hard, but um, she was mad for a while. I'm not going to lie. She was mad. She was like, I can't believe you're talking all of this. Right. Somebody has to become free. And the only way somebody else can be free is by me telling my testimony. Um, so ultimately, whatever you need to do, find you somebody that you can talk to, find you somebody that you can depend on, find somebody that you can dump on and they won't do nothing with it. They won't regurgitate it to nobody else. Do whatever it is you have to do in order to be free. Write it down. I'll tell anybody, write it down just so that you don't have to carry the weight of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to. You have to. I'm, I'm actually a journaler. Um, I'm music too as well. Um, but I'm, I'm a firm believer in therapy. Now, listen, I'm, I'm I had to firm, do it. Firm believer in therapy because therapy will give you that outlet that you ain't got to worry about. Is this person going to say nothing? It's, oh, I can say what I need to say, get the tools and strategies I need to get. No judgment. There's no judgment. There's no bias. And it's all I can focus on me. A lot of times we may think we're going in there for some something else and, and about somebody else. But sometimes, a lot of times, yeah, you'll deal with those issues, but it all yeah. will point back to you in order yeah. to help you uh, help you um, figure out those things so that you basically don't repeat those cycles over yeah. and over and over again it's going to go back you might be going back in there thinking oh i'm going in there for this one issue that's happening right now in 2020 when really mm -hmm. you're going in there and you're going to start there but then you're going to find out that you're going to hit something at five years old you're going to hit something at 20 you know what you're going to hit different pockets where you're thinking that it starts right here or i'm going or i'm going to talk about this one person 
<laughs> no, nah, you, you're not going to just talk about that one person. You're going to talk about yourself too, <laughs> along with mm -hmm. some other things that, that goes, that, that um, has gone on in your life. And so you have Absolutely. to, again, open to the process and trust it. If you go in there closed, if you go in there thinking therapy, I, I remember somebody said this to me, therapy don't mm -hmm. work. They told me I have no, I didn't have no personality. Well, part of that is because you were at the beginning of the process. You have to start somewhere so that they can begin to see you mm -hmm. and begin to see. And they don't really need to see you. They just need you to open up enough in order and, to be able to go through the process. And it starts with, um, I like that you said that, but it starts with being honest with yourself. Absolutely. If you're not honest with yourself, and, and I think that's what we, we um, that's where the misconception is. Um, within the church and even outside of the church because i don't want to just say you know um that's who i am though but um our misconception is is that we have to create a facade mm -hmm. and keep a facade so that people won't see the real us absolutely and the truth of the matter is is that the facade is hindering us and this is why we repeat cycles because of our facade. But yeah. the moment we we allow the we lay down the facade and we just say, you know what, this is me. I don't know what else to give you. This is what happened. You know, the moment you accept you for you is when others will accept you for who you are. Absolutely. The moment you take off the mask, you'll see that who part. We are. And not only, yeah. uh, not only will you see it, other people. So as long as you're Absolutely. on that facade and you're wearing that mask, nobody will ever know the true you at all. Yeah. And so Absolutely. you have to be willing and open. And like you said, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be. Just like with addicts, you know, they, yeah. with the addicts, they have to be honest and say, hey, it's me. I'm I got a problem. I got yeah. a problem. You know, it, it can't be everybody else. It can't be everybody else's fault. It can't be, I'm not talking about, let me, let me be clear. I'm not talking about abuse and things of that nature. Right. I'm just saying in general, we can't point the finger to other people because it, it can't always be other people. Sometimes it's when you're pointing, you got a finger pointing. You got how many fingers? Three. You? Yeah. You know, so man, it's this. But even in that, but even, even in that, you made a, a valid statement. And I think I also put it within the book was that at some point I had to stop looking at the abuser mm -hmm. and looking at everybody around me and saying, I had to stop rehearsing what everybody else did to me. Absolutely. Like I had to just say, you know what? I can't do it no more. Absolutely. I, I'm tired of replaying this video, this VHS tape. I'm tired. Mm -hmm. Like, so I had to get to the point where I stopped, I stopped replaying it. Mm -hmm. And the moment that I stopped replaying it, I was like, I'm going to stop replaying this and I'm going to throw myself on the altar. And then in me throwing myself on the altar, you can do what you want with me. But at the end of the day, I had to stop looking at everybody else. And I think when I stopped looking at everybody else, that is when the Lord started showing me, hey, they gave you all that they could give you. Mm -hmm. They were not equipped to take you to that next level of your life. Nice. They were not equipped to love you in the area that you needed to be loved because I am God. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I love you the way that you need to be loved, not them. Man will forsake you, but for God, God will forever be. Absolutely. So it was those things. It's in moments like that that you just, yeah.
Yeah. And for those who may be on this, uh, in this, in this session and you say, you know, I, I, you may not believe in God or, or you may, or whatever the case may be, we're saying God, because that's who we believe in. Right. But at the end of the day, it is, you have to be honest and make a decision for yourself for in, you. in order for you to be better so that yeah. the universe can do what needs to be done in you. At the Absolutely. end of the day, no matter who you believe in, no, whatever your higher being is, you still have right. to make the decision for you to Absolutely. look at yourself honestly and for real and so that the universe can do the work in you. And so we're going to stay right there for a little bit because you talked about your abuser was dead and gone, but you were still still holding on and pain had a purpose. <laughs> I talked about this earlier, turning your pain into a purpose. We don't sometimes see while we're in it that pain has a purpose. But for you, what did what did you mean by that? Um, but I think by now, at that point, I probably was, I had just come to know. Again, I, I knew that the hand of God was on my life, but I wasn't really sure in what way it would have been manifested. Um, and... I knew that after my father had passed that my assignment then became my mother. Um, my mother depended on my father for everything. Mm -hmm. um, my mother had a mind of her own, but she depended on my father to provide um, to, the, to the ability that she would allow. Absolutely. Um, so I, ultimately, um, in him passing, I began to live, but I also began to, I had to start taking care of a grown woman who was broken, but didn't realize she was broken. And so it was in those instances where I would have conversations with my mother, you know, about how she felt about him passing or how, you know, just trying to get her to talk about everything that she had went through, um, things of that. I realized that my purpose then was to, be the lifeline for my family and it's crazy because i remember um probably before i had moved right back to maryland i i remember being in a service and i remember um someone releasing a prophetic word saying to me that your life will be the life that will will, will bring your family out of darkness and so i was thinking about oh Okay, maybe sort of. So when he passed, I was like, okay, well, the darkness is gone. So maybe that's what they meant. Um, but I understood my purpose to be, um, there was a mantle um, after my grandfather had passed. There was a mantle that had fallen. And I believe that I was one of the people within my family member to pick up portions of his, his anointing and his um, grace, that the grace that was upon his life to carry out the mission and the mandate of the Lord. Um, but ultimately, that was a part of my purpose, um, knowing who I was in Christ Jesus and then being able to carry it out. Um, so, yeah, my pain had purpose. Wow. Purpose. And so with yeah. that, you also mentioned about being the victim or behavior of a victim. Mm -hmm. I know we touched upon it a little bit while we were talking yeah. about the work and things of nature, but right, right, right. we discussed it a little bit further. Um, so victim... Um, having a victim-like mentality um, is always saying they did it to me. That's rehearsing what someone did to me over and over and over again. That's um, sometimes we allow what we go through to be 
our jacket. We wear it like a coat mm. because we want sympathy and or empathy, mm-hmm. but we want to matter. We want to feel like um, somebody, if I tell this story, somebody is going to hear me and I'm going to keep telling until somebody listens. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, we, 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 put, we dress ourselves in the coat of a victim on a daily basis mm-hmm. because we choose not to allow ourselves to take off the coat. It's more comfortable for us to keep on the coat of the victimization than letting the coat go so that you can walk in your destiny, so that you can walk in your freedom. So for a while, I, it, it, was a, it had to become an unlearned behavior to not be the victim. It had to become an unlearned behavior. Hear me when I say it. It had to become an unlearned behavior to not be the victim. But it had to become a learned, a learned behavior to say I am more than victorious. I am a conqueror mm-hmm. because of Christ. Mm-hmm. I had to shed the old thing, right? And then I had to choose to put on a different garment. Yeah. But if we don't choose to put on a gar- the different garment, we'll wear the victimization like we change clothes every day. Until we yeah. die. <laughs> Listen. Victim, Until we die. Every day. Put on like, the I mean, mm-hmm. we just do it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's second nature to us and God is like that's not what I called you to I didn't call you to be a victim right. you're making yourself the victim yes it was something that you went through but how long are you going to keep that absolutely yes it was something that happened to you but how long are you going to keep rehearsing it mm-hmm. and that's what I, I, I strongly feel, hear the Lord even saying to us tonight is that shed the weight shed the weight of being a victim and walk in a victorious life. I'm getting ready to do, um, at the end of the month, we're going to do a love free me conversation comes from the book. Um, but this essentially, this is what we're doing tonight. Like having a love free me conversation. Right. Um, but we're going to talk about, um, from victimization to victorious living. Mm-hmm. We're going to really delve into it, um, and dive and we're going to talk. I mean, we're going to get into the gritty of it, <laughs> but you have to, you have to shed the weight of being the victim and choose to be victorious. Choose to be victorious. Victimization keeps you stuck in the mud. Mm-hmm. Victimization keeps you, um, keeps you in the same cycle that you can't seem to get out of. Victimization says it's everybody else, not me. Mm-hmm. When actually it's me and not everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, victimization starts in the mind. Mm-hmm. It's a part of changing that core. <laughs> it's a part of changing that core. If you if you don't change that core, you want to stay in. It's you. It's you. It's you. Never look at the fact that it's yep. you, it's it's me. Yep. I need to change. Everything is happening to me. Every you know we always everything's happening to me. Everything's happening to me. Maybe if you change your core, change your perspective, you'll see that everybody's not out to get you. You'll see that everybody, that, that everything isn't happening to you. Some of the stuff, you're walking into it freely. Some of the stuff, you're walking into it because you're living in a victim mindset. Some of the stuff, you can walk out of if you choose to change your core and change your, pers- whoop, and change your perspective. 
my I, I heard somebody in the comments say yeah. share, share the details. I make sure that she shares the details about her her <laughs> her love free me conversation that's gonna happen. I'll make sure she shares that to you. But listen, it's just you have to be it's easy to walk in and be miserable. You can be listen, I don't I could be miserable by myself. I don't, I don't need I, you to help me. Well, I can be miserable by myself. I don't need your help for me to be miserable. And so I'm in the standpoint right now, listen, you talk, I got to protect my aura. And if you're doing too much negativity, if you're doing too much, um, oh, you can't, or oh, I can't, and I'm going to say, oh, that's right, and that's why you over there, baby. I understand yeah. where you are. I'm not even going to judge where you are. Because that's where you are. You got to walk out of that and take it step by step. But that's not where I am. And I say that to say because I used to be that person. I was a people pleaser girl. I did it real good. Oh, I know. I, I did mean, it we all, we've been there. <laughs> I did it real good. I was a people pleaser, did it real good. And um, when I learned the word no, when I tell you it hurt their Listen. feelings more than it hurt mine, the freedom that it felt for me, that it had for me was so Awesome. And sometimes you have to free yourself of what other people think of you. You have to free yourself from, from what, from what your, path, your path happened to you. It's not who you are. It's not where you're going to stop. It's not who you are going to become unless you choose. It doesn't you. define you. And, right. It doesn't define you unless you choose to let it define you and let it keep you stuck yeah. and stagnant and paralyzed. Man, that's what, yeah. man, we can stay there forever. Why would God summon what he hates? to perform what he loves. Let me repeat that again. <laughs> Why will God summons what he hates, meaning the act that was done to you, yep. to summons, I mean, to perform what he loves? Powerful. Please elaborate. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> you wrote words. I'm just repeating it. <laughs> I did, man. Like, um, <laughs> a lot of that, a lot of it, um, I'm not going to cry. Let me give myself the It's answer. okay if you do. It's okay. <laughs> because, yeah, this is, a, this is yet another step of your freedom. Oh, so yeah. Thing is, so when you're hearing us talk about freedom, right, we're not saying that it's all going to happen in one lump sum. No, it's going to happen over time. So just like she's saying her, she's not going to cry. It's okay to cry because crying is a part of release. It's Absolutely. a part of the the freedom that's necessary at this moment in time, right? Mm -hmm. So there's there's I just said to myself um, and told told a friend of mine, uh, I think it was about a month ago, that I am so glad that I am more whole than I've ever been mm -hmm. in my life. Yeah. I am so glad that I'm, and even with me feeling more whole, guess what? There's still yeah. some more freeing that freedom that has to be done. Absolutely. You know, so if, you know, whenever those moments come, they're going to yeah. come because they need to come in that moment in time for me to get that release and that freedom in that moment, whatever it is that God, the universe, whatever, whoever you want to, whoever your high being is, whatever it is that they want you to get in that moment, it's, it's for you at that time. So you being here at this conference, it's yeah. not a mistake. You're here to get exactly what you need to help you go to the next step. Even mm -hmm. Janice taking this call, taking saying yes to the call to come and speak about it. It's the it's for her next level of freedom and healing that she needs to go to her next step. 
Absolutely. So if you cry, girl, it's all right. I'm, I'm guaranteeing you, you're not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I think I'm I'm good now. Um, but no, um, <clears throat> hold on, I lost my train of thought. Why would God summons? I'm gonna help you get the back. Why would Thank you. God summons what He hates to perform what He loves? Okay, so um. God hates the act of sin. You know, God hates us. He hates it. Like, you know, anything that we do that goes against his purpose and his plan, it's ultimately sin, right? Um, but what he loves is that we are human and that we come to him as humble as we know how um, and that we submit our ways unto his ways. So ultimately, um, what he loves is me giving my life over to him, me submitting my will for his. Um, that was his ultimate ultimate plan but did i understand the reason that he did it absolutely not um but was it necessary for my life absolutely so um so he hate he he did not agree with the fact that i had to go through the molestation that i had to go through um the abuse that i had to that i had to go through um the heartache the the the, the beatings and you know all of those things no that ain't that wasn't what he loved about the situation what he knew was that she's gonna give her life to me and she's gonna tell people that i'm the one Absolutely. i know that at the end so um that was to perform what he loved um and the reason ultimately ultimately i believe it's the reason that he died on the cross for me yeah for me i i say um you know no matter what relationship i go through what um church hurt i might have been through what mm -hmm. family hurt whatever might i might have gone through friendship hurt whatever i always say and i've always said this is that i i look at the situation to get better and not bitter better because i realized that whatever i went through during that time it was for me because mm -hmm. it helped me to become the person that i am today i might not have understood that when i was going through it <laughs> but it helped me. And what I always try to do is to glean, learn from what happened, bad mistake, I mean, you know, bad relationship, church hurt, you know, family hurt, whatever. I, I, my thing is to glean from it, learn from it, so that I can become a better individual and become better to do what is I'm called to do. And so, and I always say this too, look at how God, ask God, not don't look, sorry, ask God, how do he see you? How does he see you? Because mm -hmm. no matter how you see yourself, I guarantee God, sees you, God sees you is totally different. And it will, it will bring so much insight to your world. And you're not going to understand it at first. It'll come in bits and pieces. But mm -hmm. ask God how he sees you. No matter if you're the victim, no matter, you know, widowed, you know, no matter divorce, uh, been abused, no matter what. That's not how God sees you. He sees so much more. And yeah. so if we ask God how he sees us, make sure you're ready for it, number one. Cool. But what's to come is so much greater than how you So much it. greater. When I, and I've asked God that several times about myself. And I've gotten yeah. answers very various points. And I just asked him that recently. So, I, you know, we'll see how, how it looks now. But yeah. I ask that in different points, different stages in my life, and different stages have revealed different things to me mm -hmm. um, that was important. 
And I was going to say that even when you do ask the question, though, you know, when you do ask that to God, be prepared Absolutely. for whatever he shows you. Absolutely. And you have to be okay with it. You know, I remember saying, God, why me? Mm -hmm. You know, why, why was this the path that you chose for me? And God said, I need you to be able to identify. I know that there will be women, young women, even young men that will come behind you that you will see in your career or that you will see beyond your career um that you will see and you can identify what they're going through and ultimately you'll have the tools and the wisdom and the understanding to help them become unstuck to be help them you know to help walk them in their freedom so like love free me now has not just become you know um for me it's not just a slogan it's not just the same it is literally what I have to walk out. It's become a mandate for me is to walk others to freedom. And the only way that I can walk you through freedom is if one, I'm transparent Two, I got to give you what God gave, you know what I mean? Um, and so it's, it's, it's becoming a movement for me. Like we about to, I'm about to just take it everywhere. Look, you know, I'm it. Make it, make it do what it do. In that you're walking into your divine purpose. And you talked about that in the book. What Absolutely. Um, walking it, it, again, again, I knew that the hand of God was on my life, right? Like I knew that there was something, but I didn't know how it was going to manifest. And um, the more I surrendered to his will and the more I surrendered to his way is when he started to reveal unto me, this is what I have for you. Um, this is what I called you to be in the earth realm. And this is what I desire to get out of your life. This is what I, I desire you to bless individuals, um, men, women alike, um, mothers, daughters alike. I desire to use you to be a bridge to men, broken families. Um, those things. So those ultimately became parts of my purpose and, and, and parts of my destiny. Um, but ultimately it's, it's just a surrendered life. When you start surrendering to his will and to his way, he'll give you more strategy, more understanding on how you are able to walk out your purpose and walk out his plan for your life. Um, but you got to surrender to it. You got to submit. It, it, was, it wasn't until I took my hands off of it that God just... And even with the book, it took me 12 years. Man, who takes 12 years to write a book? What? Many people, listen. many people. Listen, <laughs> there's, there's, listen, so let me just tell you, there's no timing on it. You can't judge, you can't compare your journey to right. other people's journey because you don't know how they got to that journey. So your 12 right. years was, was, was for the purpose that it was. And if it would have came Absolutely. out before then, you might not have been ready and it might not have had the impact that you needed that God intended for it to have Absolutely. if it would have happened before those 12 years. So don't worry about the journey oh yeah but right I mean, there, it's still, right there where it's supposed to be i say even within the book there are certain if you, when you read the book there are certain things that transpired that i think we'll get to um um as we progress on in this conversation but there are certain things we're talking about only one phase of my life there's a whole nother phase that you all haven't even we yeah. haven't even tackled, right? Absolutely. So, <laughs> you know, there are certain things God literally had to do it in, in the, the mandate and the timing that he did it um, because I would have self-sabotaged it, you know? Um, I would have, come on, 12 years, 12 tribes. Okay, come on. I feel you. <laughs> That's good. Um, but certain things had to happen when it happened. Um 
And if certain things had not happened when it did, I would not have the value. Um, I would not be able to appreciate the value and the oil that is on my life. Absolutely. I know I now understand the oil um, of God on my life because of what I had to endure. Um, there's, there's, um, there's a, sometimes when we go through certain things, we don't understand that it is not, it's not for us, it's for others, but it, it causes us, there's an oil to be extracted from our lives that we can only yet implement and exude to others because of what God has done in and through our lives, if you understand what I'm saying. So there's an oil, there's a grace on my life um, to be able to walk out um, the purpose and the plan of where we are. So yeah, it took 12 years, 12 years, but it happened. I'm grateful. Um, I'm grateful. So yeah. So the other part that we did, and this is, this is uh, <laughs> to the end of it in regards to you and I, where we'll, you know, bring yeah. somebody else into it. So your 35th birthday. So we've talked about your things. We've talked about some of the freedoms. We've talked about some of the aches, some of the decisions that you, the destiny decisions you had to make. We've talked about all yeah. of that. Then your 35th birthday comes and it changed your life. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to spoil it. You go ahead and share. You share. So, um, so um, if you guys remember me saying that um, all of my life, I wanted to know where I came from. Um, and that's rightfully so for anyone who has been adopted. You, there is something on the inside of you that you want to know. Who do I come from? Where do I come from? You know, who do I look like? You know, all of those things. Um, and that was always my desire. I believe it was the desire of my sister as well. We always wanted to know who and where we came from. Unfortunately, we were giving lies for the longest time um, that our mother was no longer living, that our father was no longer living, that um, my mother was a drug addict, um, or anything there else in between. But on my 35th birthday, God in his infinite wisdom, power, love, grace, and mercy, because he loves it from us enough. This is the Moses moment, right? Um, God loved us enough to, I was driving home from work at the time, and I received a Facebook message, if you will, thank God for social media, right? Um, I received a message on my 35th birthday about 4.13 in the afternoon. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and I started reading this message and the message said, um, I've been watching your profile. I believe that I am your sister. Every year, I search for my mother's long lost twin daughters. Um, who was born on December 16th. God, praise our God. Um, I'm not going to tell my age. Well, y'all probably don't. <laughs> who was born on December 16th at the hospital, at this particular hospital. Um, if your names, your names at birth were Aisha and Tanisha, if that, are you, if that is you, then I know I have the correct person here is my contact information. I'm sure you have questions. Contact me. I'm looking at my, literally, like, oh, I know y'all lying. Like, I'm being punked on today. Somebody playing a real good prank on me. Like, it's my birthday. But somewhere on the inside of me, mm -hmm. 
some, the spirit said, that's not a lie. Mm-hmm. And I remember contacting my sister and I said, I received a Facebook message from this person. I can't make out the picture, none of that, X, Y, and Z. I read the message to her and she was like, Jenny, stop playing it. And I was like, I'm not playing it. And she was like, yes, you are. And I was like, my hand to God, I'm not playing. And so she was like, where are you on your way to? I was like, I'm on my way to my house. She was like, I'm coming over. Um, little did, um, she ended up coming over maybe an hour and a half later. And so I remember at that moment when the messages came through, I called two of my confidants who were, who were uh, one was a spiritual mother at the time um, and, and still is. Um, and another was a friend of mine. I called each one of them and said, no, I screenshot it. I'm not going to screenshot it, sent it to them. And their response was, is she lying? And I said, whoever this person is, is telling the truth. Like nobody knows that information because it's not something that we just freely told. Um, I don't even think my adopted family really knew what our parents named, what my mother named us at birth. Um, so long story short, while I'm waiting for my sister to get to my house, now I'm searching this person's Facebook page because I'm trying to see, you know, what I need to see, but there's nothing there. It's, it's very, it's very vague. It's very fixed, if you will. I'm like, these people, they got no pictures. Like, what the world? Um, and so I couldn't get no, I couldn't put pieces of a puzzle together. And so my sister shows up. She was like, where's your phone? Hey, happy birthday to you, number one. And then number two, calm down, sis. Here you go. Like, hand her my phone. She's reading it. And I was like, you want to call? And she was like, yeah, we can call. We called. Um, no one answered the phone. I was like, yeah, somebody playing a prank. I ain't got time. And if I find out who it is, I'm getting ready to cut somebody out. That's the human in me, right? I mean. <laughs> Let's be real. It's all good. Peter is, Peter rests over here every now and then. <laughs> I mean, I just got to put Peter in. I'm not going to touch you, change the devil. Um, so, um, I, it was a night for prayer for me. I went into prayer. Uh, we had a prayer call, if you will. I remember going into prayer and, um, as soon as I, I mean, no sooner than I hung up in this prayer call, my phone rang. And I look at it, and it's this Oklahoma number. Mm-hmm. So then my heart dropped because I was like, do I answer? Yes. Do I not answer? <laughs> <sighs> so I answered it, and I hear this young voice on the phone, like this young, younger voice on the phone. And was like, can I speak to Janice? And I was like, this is she. And she was like, this is Kia. I'm the person who messaged you. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, let me get my sister. Let me put you on speaker, you know. And um, she was like, I'm sure you have a whole bunch of questions. And I was like, absolutely do. And she was like, well, tell me what you know. And all my sister and I could tell her was the story that we were fed. Um, was that our mother had us at a young age. She left us in an abandoned car. That's all we knew. And as no sooner than we said that, um, a lady at the time was like, I didn't abandon you. 
And I was just like, what? She was like, I didn't abandon. I mean, through her tears, she was, she said, I did not abandon you. And as much as I probably did not want to believe it, there was just this peace and this calmness about it that she wasn't lying. And so as she said that, she started to tell more of the story and she put, you know, stuff together. And then I said, God, you got jokes. You waited until I was 35. So then put my family in my life. And so ultimately, um, we ended up talking for a while that night. Um, and the girl said, she was like, well, at first, before she even said that she was here with her mother, it didn't click with me that this woman was my mother, though. She was like, I'm here with my mother, my brother. And I'm thinking like, okay, like, you know, but it still didn't click with me. And then when she said, um, I didn't abandon you. I was like, so you're my mother? And she was just like, yeah. And I was like, Okay, so we ended up talking, but there was still a sense of, is this real? Right. And I remember her, um, we exchanged numbers that night, Every all of us exchanged numbers, and she, was, she said to us, I have baby pictures of y'all. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we've never seen us as babies, so we would love to see what that looks like, right? So she sends us, the next day, she sends us a baby picture. And I look at the baby picture and I say, Janelle, that's you. And my sister was like, no, that's you. Like, we... <laughs> right, because you got like, adopted at one at the age of one. You got yeah. adopted at the age of one. Yep, one, one, no, one we were with, about two. One we were in the system, if you will. Um, but... I started looking at baby pictures and I was just like, wow, that is us. Like, you know, um, so it, there was a reality, there was, there was closure in a sense. Um, but the thing that, that um, took me back is, you know, in your mind when you're adopted and you don't know where you come from, you always want to, you try to put pieces of puzzles together. You'd be like, I wonder where I come from. Where do I get this attribute from? Da da this, da da that. Um, and I hope that nobody takes any offense to what I'm saying um, when I make this statement. But my mother um, started after she sent baby pictures, she started sending family pictures um, to us. And I remember looking at a family picture and I was like, who is this woman? But she can't be my mother. And it, it killed the thoughts and the perception of what I thought my mother should have looked like or what she was. And um, for a while, it, it was hard for me to accept. Um, there were things, there was, it was just things about her, but I was just like, why? Like, why this hard? But it, it was, and then God had to walk me through a whole nother process that we'll talk about in book number two. Um, but ultimately, <laughs> um, but ultimately God in his love and his power allowed us to um, come to know who our biological mother is um and we have been now for the last couple of years cultivating a relationship with that side of our family um thanksgiving this past thanksgiving was the first time that um my sister and i ever had went back to oklahoma um, we had never been back to oklahoma and we took a faith walk 
um, Thanksgiving, decided to go there on Thanksgiving just to spend Thanksgiving with them. Um, and yeah, it was what it was. So at 35, the Lord allowed us um, to know who our mother is um, and to understand some of our story. Um, and it's amazing because knowing what she went through, knowing that I that my sister and I had to endure, I remember at some certain points in my life when I'd be like, oh, I'm breaking this generational curse, not even understanding what I was speaking of or not understanding what I was regarding to, knowing that I would be at 35, knowing who my mother was and hearing some of, and I haven't, I'm, I'm sure I haven't heard all of it, but just knowing what I know, um, how God, so God preserved our lives, preserved her life that she would um, be able to come to know her first born children um, and then preserve us to, to know that we are who we are uh, and where we come from. So God is great. God is great. Coach K, that sounds pretty easy, but you don't know my story. Believe it in yourself, trust in the process, and God, I've been stuck. I've been fearful. I'm going to give you some tools to help you move forward. I know we all have scars. We all have wounds. He's already made the provisions for it to be done. Keep it moving. Brace your feelings. It's okay, and acknowledge how far you've come.